Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. What a God we have. And I looked at the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 33, and as I read chapter 33 of 2 Chronicles, that's the only thing I could say is what a God we have. Then I thought about it and I said, well, maybe we should make kind of a mini-series out of this, and so we'll do what a God we have part two next week. But here's what's going on. I'll get right to it in 2 Chronicles 33. You had the United Kingdom of Israel, this Old Testament. You had the United Kingdom of Israel, and they split into two different nations. You had the Northern Kingdom, you had the Southern Kingdom, and then you can trace this through the Old Testament. You can look at the kings of the, Nor- the, kings of the Northern Kingdom, kings Southern Kingdom. And there's about 20 in the North, 20 in the South. You got about 40 kings all together, and maybe five or six were good kings. Out of all those kings, maybe five or six are good kings. Jehoshaphat, don't name your kid that. Josiah, Asa, Hezekiah, Joash, these are all good guys. And you find all this in the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. Now, come to this question. Out of all these kings, who was the worst? Most of them were bad guys. So out of all these 40 or some kings, who was the worst? And there's a lot of consensus on this. That one terrible one really stands out. I mean, he was the worst of the worst of the worst, and his name was Manasseh. And Manasseh had a really good dad, man. His dad was, was King Hezekiah. Manasseh was his son. And Hezekiah, his dad, brought about all these great reforms in Israel. Hezekiah was a godly man, did great things, but his son Manasseh took the nation into the pits, which tells me you can be good at what you do, man. You can be a good king. You can be a good whatever and have a messed up family. And all that does is show bad priorities, but that's another message. Now, stick with me on this for a minute. All these bad kings in this divided nation of Israel, the north and the south, you can read about them in the books of 1 and 2 Kings, and you can read the same stuff in the books of 1 and 2 Chronicles. Now, 1 and 2 Kings is going to tell us some stuff Chronicles doesn't tell us, and Chronicles will give us some details Kings doesn't tell us. But the whole big deal here is you've got to put them all together to get the whole picture. It's just like you want to know about Jesus. You can't read all about Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You got to read them all four of them to get the whole big picture. In other words, God wants you to dig into his word. So let's look at this um, evil king or how evil this king Manasseh was. And I'm going to ask you to turn, first of all, to um, the book of 2 Kings chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Give you a second to find that. 2 Kings 21, beginning in verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. Well, 12 years old. He obviously had to have people who ran the kingdom for him until he was probably 25 or 30 years old. Now look at verse 2. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. So he did evil. Notice, just like the pagan idol-worshipping nations that God at one time had driven out of the land. He was more evil than the pagans. Look at verse 3. He rebuilt the high places his father had Hezekiah had built and destroyed. Now, what are the high places? The high places are, well, the thinking in that day was the higher you, the higher up you went, the higher up you build a shrine, the closer you were to these demon spirits in the heavens. And the more they loved your worship, the higher the place. And so this was worshiping from these shrines on the hills, these demon spirits in the heavenlies. 
and it was really devil worship. And this gets worse. Goes on to say in verse 3, he also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole. I'm just trying to show you how bad this guy was. So who was Baal? Baal was an idol, idols of wood, stone, big, ugly idols that were not God that people bowed down and worshiped to. And he had these idols built along with an Asherah pole. Now, what's an Asherah pole? Well, that's a statue of a naked woman. And the people were thinking, it's a carved statue, seriously, of a naked woman. It's supposed to be the female consort of Baal, okay? Anyway, the people are thinking, hey, man, we have a cool king. Manasseh's a cool guy. Not the old stuffy guy like his dad was. And it goes on in verse 3, he bowed down to the starry hosts. The host, that's the demon spirits in the skies, and worshipped them. I mean, this gets worse. Look at verse 4. He built altars, but where? In the temple. In the temple of the Lord, which, of which the Lord God said, in Jerusalem, I will put my name. And so he honestly, I mean, that would just like making a big pagan statue and putting it right here and saying, this is your God and asking you people to worship it. I mean, see how bad this gets? Look at verse six, verse six. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. He sacrificed his own son because again, the thinking was that you had this big, ugly idol and, and it was a God and, and these gods are very, very angry. And the only way you can appease their wrath is to offer your son or your daughter as a living sacrifice. Then maybe, maybe you will appease their wrath. So, so, so Manasseh does this. And it goes on to say in verse six, he practiced sorcery and divination and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And here's the really bad part as king. As king, he led the people into all this godlessness. He led people downhill into all this garbage. In verse 10 and 11, 1 Kings 21, uh, 2 Kings 21 sums it up. The Lord had said through his servants, the prophets, here's what the Lord said, Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He has done more evil than the Amorites. That, 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 those are the pagans. That's probably the worst of the pagans. He, he's done more evil than the Amorites, meaning this guy is a really bad guy. He's worse than the pagan unbelievers who preceded him, and he led Judah into sin with his idols. And you can read one Bible commentary after another that says Manasseh was the worst of 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 the worst kings of Israel. Now, see, that's where, that's where 2 Kings ends. It's account of Manasseh. That's where you got to go to 2 Chronicles. That's why you got to study the whole Bible. Because you go to 2 Chronicles, it tells us the rest of the story, okay? In 2 Chronicles, when you read 2 Chronicles 33, you'll understand why I call this message, what a God we have. Because you look at verses 1 to 9, and that just recounts everything we saw in, for, in 2 Kings 21. Now, you look at verse 10 of 2 Chronicles 33. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people. Now, now look at this. I've got this circled in my Bible. And they paid no attention. That's the NIV. He spoke to Manasseh and his followers, and they paid no attention. Verse 11. So the Lord brought against them the army and commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner. Now get this. They put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and they took him to Babylon. And so now this evil King Manasseh is sitting there in prison. He's got a hook. Well, he's on his way to prison. He's got a hook in his nose. And someone's leading him, pulling him by a chain. Come on, King. Come on, King. Come on, King. They yank at you. You know, that hurt. And now he's in prison. And Manasseh has a lot of time to just sit there and think. And this is the rest of the story. And what did he think about? Maybe he thought about his dad, Hezekiah. People were worshiping those demonic spirits in the heavenlies from the shrines on the hills. And Hezekiah, his dad, destroyed every one of them. 
And maybe he remembered his dad, Hezekiah, speaking to the multitudes and his dad standing before all these people and telling them, hey, there's only one God, the God who made us and the God who delivered us from slavery in Egypt, the God who loves us with unconditional love, the God who doesn't need to be appeased by, by, by sacrificing your child. And he's the only true God and he's the only one worthy of our worship. He's sitting there. Maybe he's thinking of these things. Maybe he's sitting there in prison with nothing but time. Maybe he remembered his dad and his mom just kind of putting their arms around him and telling them the great stories about how God parted the waters of the Red Sea and stories about Moses and stories about David and how David heard this, this insolent giant man just insulting his God and how David felt rage and just took a stone and took the guy out and maybe Manasseh sat there in prison and thought about all that kind of stuff. And maybe Manasseh thought to himself, sitting there in prison with a ring through his nose, how far I've strayed from God. See, you read 2 Kings, and all you get is this bad, bad guy. You got to read the rest in 2 Chronicles, see. Maybe he thought, how far I've fallen. And maybe tears formed in his eyes. See, he thought about all this. I see him with tears just, just flooding his eyes. And maybe he put his face in his hands and sobbed. Oh God, my sin is so great. And I don't deserve your mercy. But I ask you now to please be merciful to your child who has strayed so far from you. I hear him saying that. That's all in verse 12 of Second Chronicles 33. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God. Now listen. And humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And then when I read verse 13 of 2 Chronicles 33, I have to fight the tears, folks, honestly. I thought to myself when I was writing this, if I were alone on a desert island for the rest of my life and I could take one chapter of the Bible in two verses, I think I'd take 2 Chronicles 33. That's what I'd want with me in these two verses. I mean, you've got this miserable excuse for a human being who led so many people from the Lord, who sacrificed his son to demon gods or false gods and worshiped devils and desecrated the very temple of God with statues of idols and carved images of naked women. And God's heart is moved by this guy's prayer who greatly humbled himself. Look at verse 13. When he prayed to the Lord, the Lord was moved by his prayer and listened to his plea. And I thought to myself, how can God's heart be touched and moved by the likes of him? How? He was moved by his entreaty, and he listened to his plea, and then he restored everything. So he brought him back to Jerusalem, gave him back his kingdom, and then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. So God's heart is touched. Manasseh humbled himself greatly. God heard, God was touched, and God got him out of prison, brought him back to Jerusalem, and gave him back everything he had. And now Manasseh is a changed man. Look at verse 15, verse 15. He got rid of the foreign gods. He removed the image from the temple of the Lord, as well as all the altars he had built on the temple hill and in Jerusalem, and he threw them out of the city. And then he restored the altar of God, sacrificed fellowship offerings and thank offerings on it, and told the people of Judah to serve the Lord the God of Israel. And Manasseh will spend the rest of his life, I'm sure, I mean, in this word of God, undoing the wrong he had done, glorifying God. And again, this is what 2 Kings doesn't tell you. This is why you need the whole Bible, because you and me and all believers will be in heaven singing the praises of Jesus. And right there in the middle of us, man, is going to be this guy Manasseh with his hand raised, singing the praise of Jesus forever and ever. And I almost want to say to that, let's go home. I mean, and let the word of God speak for itself, but I'm not wired that way. 
And there's so many applications of the Word of God to our lives, I just wonder where to begin. Because we are so much like Manasseh, and you says, well, I never sacrificed my kid to a foreign god or something like that. I didn't build an idol and command people to worship or put the carved image of a naked woman in the church. Yeah, but y'all get telemarketing calls. I remember a couple of years ago, I got this one telemarketing call. You begin to recognize the numbers, you know, and you just kind of avoid them and don't answer the phone. Well, I did answer the phone this time inadvertently, and I said to the caller when I, when I understood it was a telemarketer, I said, sir, I can't talk to you right now because I'm late for a lunch appointment. I hung up. And that was a lie. I didn't have any lunch appointment. I wasn't in any hurry. It was an outright, I just didn't want to talk to the guy. Now, I remember that because, man, the Holy Spirit smacked me, man. And I need smacking sometimes, so do you. The Holy Spirit smacked me about that lie. And see, that is no different. That lie is no different before a holy God than standing on top of a hill and raising my arms in worship to the demon spirits in the heavens. That, 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 that sin is no different. And so the first point of application to our lives is I think about this part of God's word and what he's saying to us. It's all about Jesus Christ. I mean, I got to ask the question, why could God the Father forgive Manasseh's sins in the first place? That's the guy on the middle cross. And there's a guy on the left, guy on the right. They're not going to help you much. But it's that guy on the middle cross. That's the reason God can forgive Manasseh's sins and my sins. It all goes to Christ, man. Now, you see, you see, God forgave Manasseh's sins. He forgives your sins. He forgives my sins. And not one sin could ever be forgiven unless that sin, folks, was dealt with. And God the Father dealt with your sin and my sin in his own son, Jesus Christ. Old Testament, New Testament, since there have been people on the face of this earth, the Father laid those iniquities on him, man. I mean, I, I mean the, the burden he was under on the cross is unbelievable. Manasseh sins, your lies, me always being in a hurry. Every time your kid pokes fun at somebody because they're a little bit overweight or a little bit strange. Now, they were all there, man. They were pressing down on his shoulders. That was the weight he carried. And when Jesus cried, it is finished. He didn't just whisper it. It is finished. And he dug, he, man, he dug inside him for every bit of strength he had in him. And hanging there on a cross for all those hours, he cried out one word in Greek, but three in English. It is finished. And that's why the Father can forgive a Manasseh. And that's why the Father can forgive a Dennis G. Rasper. And I wonder, folks, if we ever dwell on that. I wonder if anybody's sitting there saying to themselves, well, preach on something practical. I know all that. I wonder if you ever dwell on what it cost the Father and the Son to forgive our sins and where we'd be without that forgiveness. Let's look at the mercy of God. There is a difference between grace and mercy, okay? Manasseh sinned big time, and it was God's grace. This is grace that dealt with the sin and put it on Jesus Christ. And it was the Father's mercy that dealt with the consequences of the sin. I mean, here's this guy sitting in prison who practiced, and by practiced, I mean it was a way of life with them. All these abominable sins. And God sees him. And folks, he pities him. And the heart of God is touched. That is mercy. He looks at this abominable excuse for a human being, and here's his cry, and here's his cry, here's his prayer, because Manasseh had greatly humbled himself, and he looks at this pitiful person, and God pities him. I thought about Matthew chapter 15, and here's a principle for, for knowing and understanding Scripture. 
As you read the Gospels, what you see in Jesus, you see in God the Father. Everything you see in Jesus, that's who God the Father is. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. And I thought about Matthew chapter 15. Jesus and his disciples, beginning in verse, what, 29. Jesus and his disciples um, go up into a mountain. And whenever he, whenever he goes into a mountain, he was, he was, he was going he to take a break, a break, relax a little bit, go for walks alone, talk with his father, go fishing with his disciples, you know, sit down and teach his disciples. So I read Matthew 15, 29. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. So he's going for some relaxation. But he didn't get any relaxation. Look at verse 30. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, many others, and laid them at his feet. And he healed them. And the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Now look at verse 32. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have what? I have compassion on these people who have been with me for three days, and they have nothing to eat and I don't want to send them away hungry. I love that he had compassion on these people. Why? Not because they were lame, blind, dysfunctional. He did for that reason hurting, but they were hungry. And they could, you see, 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 they had come to the only one who could offer them any kind of hope, any kind of hope at all. And, and they were just so anxious to get to him. They didn't take food. And they were hungry. And Jesus cared. And when you, see, when you see Jesus, you see the Father in heaven, okay? The Father cares when you're hungry. He cares when you sprain your ankle and you can't go to work for a couple of days and maybe you won't get paid and you have bills. And these people kept coming at, you know, what, I, what I'm building up to is this. These people kept coming at Jesus one after another, one after another, one after another. And more and more his heart went out to each of them, all the emotion that was poured out for all these people. And I'm thinking, man, I'd collapse after a couple of people. But just morning till night, all these people come at him. And the emotion, the pity, just keeps pouring out of Jesus. That is mercy, boy. He cares. That's my Father in heaven. That's him. He pities us. And this just blows me away. He was merciful to Manasseh. I mean, Manasseh's prayer, this low life of all low lives, prayer, touched the Father's heart. That's mercy. God is so merciful. You tell yourself, man, God is merciful. God is so merciful. He's merciful to me. And sometimes when I'm going through something, that's all I need to know. Folks, I, I, sometimes I don't need solutions. I don't need God to show me out of, to, to, to show me the way out of this tunnel. There's light at the end of this tunnel. Sometimes I don't need that. I don't need solutions. And all I need to know is that my God in heaven cares. It's all I need to know. I don't need solutions. Don't always look for solutions. Just know he cares. And, and it's okay. You can go on with your life. Second Chronicles 33, verse 10. Back to Second Chronicles 33. I'm looking at verse 10. Because God warned him. He said, the Lord spoke to Manasseh. That's a warning and his people. Now, now hear this. But they paid no attention. So he warned Manasseh. Now, here's the deal, folks. He warns you and me. He sends people into your lives since people in your life, my life, my life, to speak for him. I'm serious about that. He'll send people into your life and my life to speak for him, and they may be trying to tell you some things in your life need to change, and you're not paying attention. God warns us like he warned Manasseh in big ways and little ways, but you have to discern those warnings of God that are sent in love. This is God trying to get my attention. And so I ask, what's God been doing to get your attention? And you're not paying attention. And so what do you do? God puts you in kind of a prison like he put Manasseh. 
And that's where you have time to assess your life, see? Did you ever consider, based on 2 Chronicles 33, 2 Chronicles, um, 2 Chronicles 33, verses 10 and 11, God spoke and they paid no attention, and so he brought the Assyrian army and they took this guy with the hook through his nose and finally put him in prison. Did you ever think on the base of that passage that what's going on in your life right now is God trying to get your attention? And are you paying attention? Are you asking the right questions? See, God wants you to take the time and assess your life. Listen, God the Holy Spirit includes a chapter like this in his word to teach us and in teaching us to bless us. Could it be, could it be that you're so busy that God has to kind of stretch out his hand and move in your life to slow you down? So you have time to think about what's important and what's not. Do you ever think about what's important and what's not? Maybe God's going to have to slow you down to get you to that point. You ask yourself, is what I'm doing consistent with God's purpose for my life? Ask yourself, did you ever ask yourself that? Is what I'm doing consistent with God's purpose for my life? Am I going my own direction or his? See, these are warnings. I tried to get into Manasseh's heart and mind. I mean, he's in that prison. He's got time on his hand. And he thinks. And I believe he thought about his mom and his dad, his heritage, you might say. And how they taught him the love of God and the covenant promise. The covenant promise, if you will just obey me, I would bless you. He's probably sitting there on some kind of a hardwood stool thinking. The covenant promise, if you would just obey me and I would bless you. And I didn't. He thought about the God's laws. In the high places, he worshiped that. He probably pictured himself raising his arms to demon hosts, you know? And he probably thought about the child he sacrificed on this altar to Molech or Baal and all the idolatry and where he was leading these people until he finally saw himself and his sins for what they were. And I hear Manasseh sobbing, Oh God, what have I done? Oh God, where have I gone? In your grace, forgive me. In your mercy, help me. But God had to get him to that point. And he wasn't holding it. He got to a point where he was not holding any self-righteousness before God. He finally saw himself as he was. And I'll tell you something, folks. This flies in the face of our culture today. We need to see what sin has done to us. I mean, we are, I mean, who are we? We, 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 we are sinners and sin is rebellion against God. You are a rebel against God. We are poor, wretched, and blind. Those are quotes from God's word. And except for Jesus Christ, we'd be lost and condemned forever. And we would deserve that. And like I said, that flies in the face of our culture. That's the real you and me. And the fact is, we are so blessed. And you think you deserve it. If we got what we deserve, we would, we, we would have nothing but the prospect of eternal separation from God forever. But we don't think like that. But my father, in his grace, sent his son. And the son left heaven for Manasseh and for me and for you. And that thought's overwhelming. That humbles me. He sent a son so he could bless us. You know, what a God we had. You see, you, see, you see how I titled this sermon, What a God We Have? I mean, that should build such love for the Lord in you and me that we want to obey him at all costs. I mean, we should hold nothing back from God. I mean, there's the reason for our obedience. That's where the love of the Father is demonstrated. That's where the love of Christ is demonstrated, man. That, 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 that's the reason for our sacrifice. So anybody here need to put the brakes on and take stock of your life? Where you've been, where you're going? That's what this word of God is saying to us. That's exactly what Manasseh did. Do you confess your sins? 
I mean, Ryra, I'm serious about this. Do you take time, and you should do this on a daily basis, do you take time and compare how you've been living, like Manasseh, and compare that to God's commandments and how your, how your life and your motives square up with the word of God. Do you ever look at yourself and say, and say this out loud, confess this out loud. I, I, I really try and confess my sins to God out loud. And I say something like this to God. I, I, I say, Father, I, I do this good thing to be noticed. I, I, did you ever say something like that to God? Well, this good thing I did, I did it to be noticed. I want people to notice me. I want people to applaud me. I want to be appreciated. I didn't do this to glorify you. Ever say that? Or maybe you say something like this. Father, I get so irritated that I say things I don't want to say, and I have no restraint. I need to learn to keep my mouth shut, Father. Forgive me. Please forgive me. I mean, man, you finish that list, okay? Not, well... I don't sin all that much. Would you get rid of that? The slightest sin brought Jesus Christ out of heaven to die for you and me and Manasseh. And that makes his death very, very personal. Now you're thinking the way God wants you to think. And maybe you even cry as you confess your sins. I've done that. That'd be a good thing if once in a while your sins get so heavy on you men. And you just look at God's grace and you just cry when when you think about the sins that God forgives in you. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.